Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Good morning, class. You may be seated. Today's lesson is Pathfinder 318 Monster Builder. This is part of our 300 series covering advanced topics. With Bestiary 1 came rules on how to create monsters, and they really haven't changed much since. They've added a few extra tools in your toolbox, but the basic steps to create a monster have remained the same. So we're going to teach you guys how to make a monster. Really, the only modifications you have to make for this book that is, what, almost 10 years old now? Would be simply adding the options of new special abilities that new monsters came out with, but the rest of the core is completely usable. And I suggest using it. I think it's a really good system overall. So how do we create a monster? Well, you get together with someone of the opposite sex, you name your kid Christian, and boom, you popped out a monster. He starts CR1, but that will go up over time. You have to nurture. <laughs> He'll never really become any real threat, however. <laughs> Special quality of large nose means he has a larger air capacity when right, holding Christian, his I'm going to I'm gonna have to interrupt you here. It's no fun when you play along. <laughs> All right, you just take the wind out of my make fun of you sail. But if I'm a monster, that means it takes a whole party to defeat me. <laughs> I'm really powerful. You're altogether too positive, and I hate how you <laughs> you circumvented my insult and turned into a comment. I'm very upset with you right now. Let's just jump into it. Step one, concept. Come up with a general idea for your monster. What's it going to look like? How does it fight? And most importantly, what's its type? And what CR do you want it to be? So, for example, my parents were originally going to name me Giovanni, oh boy. but then they switched it over to Christian. I think that was a much better option. No, nothing against Giovanni. It's an okay name, but I like this one better. It's a good design philosophy. <laughs> you like this name better that has the name of a religion you're not. <laughs> it's like if my name was Muslim. <laughs> so types are important. Types will give you a lot of your statistics. Types are things like outsider and uh, subtypes will give you things like incorporal. But obviously, before you ever get to writing anything down on paper, you should have a clear idea of what this thing is going to look like. And generally, what is it going to do? Is it going to cast spells? Is it something from beyond the pale? Is it a ground burrowing dweller that's really strong? Those core concepts should be hashed out before ever trying to make up statistics for it. So step two is target statistics. There's a table provided that will help you map out all of their stats. It lists CR, hit points, AC, high attack, low attack, average damage, primary ability DC, secondary ability DC, good saves, and bad saves. That table is beyond helpful. It really gives you a good approximation of a lot of the creature's statistics without having to do the discrete math of, well, how much BAB does it have? What's its strength modifier? What modifies their two-hit bonus? No, you have a table that says if it's a creature of the CR and it's something that's strong at making melee attacks, well, this is about where its attack bonus should be. So if you look at the entry here where it gives table it also gives a paragraph talking about each entry in the table and each of these paragraphs give really good tips for example under the armor class entry it says quote creatures with hit points above the average often have lower armor class values to compensate there's tips like this for each entry whenever you're creating a monster like this you should always test the monster's ac and attack bonuses against your player character stats so if you have a monster with an ac of 25 and you know that your fighter, the strongest attacker in your party, has a general to hit bonus of 10, well, they have to roll a 15 in order to hit 
this monster, which is only a 25% chance to hit, which means that this would be an incredibly powerful monster. It would be very hard for your party to take it down unless they have other tools at their disposal. Or you make other adjustments like giving him low hit points so that you don't have to actually hit them as many times. I've heard Pies of Staff talk in panels about how important this table is when they approve monsters that come across their desk. People sometimes, I guess, weren't taking the value of this, so take the tip and, and, and follow this pretty carefully. Step three is hit dice. You're going to determine how many hit dice your creature has based off of its type and its CR. There's a lot of abilities that will scale off of your hit dice. So note you're not actually determining how many hit points they have based off their hit dice, which is kind of weird. The hit points were determined in the previous step from that table. This is more to say, if this is a succubus, the succubus have 10 hit dice. That's kind of like its level, and a lot of its abilities, like its suggestion ability, its DC is higher if it has more hit dice. Step 4, size. You're going to determine which size you want your creature to be. This is where their physical ability scores will come from. There's a table that lists the general limits for creatures of certain sizes and their physical scores. So it's a table that says if you have a huge creature, well, generally its upper limit of strength is about here. I think it was like a 28. Whereas if you have a small size creature, well, generally the strongest it can be is like a 14, 16 strength score. Step five, abilities. You're going to adjust physical scores as you need to, and you're going to pick the mental ability scores. Now, those are pretty much up to you based off of your creature concept. And you should keep in mind whether or not your creature can communicate, because if you don't want it to, or it's like an animal or something, give it low intelligence, same with a plant, or whether or not it relies on spell and spell-like abilities, which will cause a single stat to be higher than the base 10, which is usually charisma. There's no real set-in-stone rule here, just a guideline. But again, remember you picked your type earlier. The first thing the plant type says is that they lack intelligence, wisdom, and charisma scores, and even though they're alive, they are objects, not creatures. And then it also gives you a bunch of other things you're going to need to know for your stats, like the hit dice, the base attack bonus, what good saves they have, their skill points, and different special traits. So step six, skills and feats. You get skill ranks based off of their hit dice and type. You're going to pick which skills you want to give them based off of their concept. Low intelligence creatures only put points in strength and deck skills. And then you're going to pick your feats. They don't really call this out in the builder, but almost every monster has very simple feats that the GM doesn't have to worry too much about, such as flat stat boosters with the maths already done in their entry, like improved initiative, toughness, iron will, lightning reflexes, great fortitude in their improved versions, some skill-based ones like alertness, skill focus, which is usually perception or stealth in the bestiary entries, weapon focus, improved critical, dodge, shield, those sort of things. Uh, there'll be combat-focused ones, which give your monster more options in combat but are simple for the gym to understand, like combat reflexes, cleave, two-weapon fighting chain, and also uh, multi-attack. Multi-attack is a monster feat. We'll talk about that in just a second. Weapon finesse, power attack, point-blank shot, precise shot, combat maneuver, based ones like improved bull rush, uh, ability focus, I don't know, blind fight, uh, vital strike, and then you mag magic focus one like meta magic, combat casting, and then there are some monster feats, feats that are, have been designed for monsters and that are in the back of the book here, such as, let me give you an example, ability focus. It allows you to increase the ability DC of one of their abilities without having to mess around with stats that might affect other things you don't want it to. 
So the vast majority of these called out are static increases. And you want to be careful of adding ones that do kind of change the structure of combat. For instance, combat reflexes is actually probably one of the most important feats that monsters can have that completely changes how the fight plays out. If a creature with a significant reach has combat reflexes, it is a 100% different fight if it does not have combat reflexes, because now your tanky character, your fighter, can't just eat the attack of opportunity and then let other people run by it or get into flanking positions. Now everyone has to be careful of it hitting them if they try to move past it. And you'll be surprised how many bestiary entries have the feats I listed. That was a pretty complete list of what you can expect. You're typically not going to give a monster something like Combat Patrol. It's a pretty, it's a more complicated feat and completely changes the way the fight is played out. Whereas if something has power attack, okay, the fight is exactly the same, just they do more damage. You know what I don't often see or if ever have seen, but think would be neat and you would expect would be useful is teamwork feats. Very often there's monsters who design encounter a couple of them. I think that's usually because teamwork feats require a certain level of intellect. I think you need so much intelligence to actually take a teamwork feat. So things that are stupid monsters tend not to have the prerequisite for that. But I agree, it'd be interesting if the dark folk, I think they would have the capacity and they usually attack in groups if you gave them teamwork feats. So step seven, other statistics. You're going to give your monster equipment. You're going to fill out most of the other stats that are based off of your ability scores and the like. And you're going to look at your final creature and compare it to all the tables and make adjustments and fill in the details. So, for example, if your AC is too low, give it armor or buff its natural armor. If its attack is too low, buff its strength or dex or an asymmetrical solution, buff its damage. It's not going to hit you as much, but when it does, it hurts more. There's notes about how to base its speed based off its other movement abilities and if it's a biped or quadruped or the size. Usually you follow the size rules for movement. Then step eight, special abilities and qualities. There's a big list of standard special abilities in Appendix 3, and some of these abilities will help you avoid the need for feats. Grab literally replaces like five hard-to-qualify-for grappling feats. I'll talk more about this in a second. You have to be careful when placing these special abilities and qualities onto your monsters because there's no indication of power for any entry in the section. So always ask yourself, when you're giving a monster an ability, can my players do something about this? Do they have an answer to this ability? For example, darkness. If you give a monster the ability to cast darkness, do your players have any kind of answer against that? If it's no, well, you got to be careful with how they use it or if they use it at all or on what kind of situation they use it. If this monster can fly, are any of my players competent range combatants? Can they actually shoot a bow and arrow with effect? If not, well, this ability now is much more powerful than it would seem to be normally. And whereas Christian is saying my players, he's thinking as somebody who's designing a monster for his game, if you're designing a monster to submit to someone else or going to a game you're not sure of, think of, okay, well, when do casters get access to the fly spell? Okay, what CR is my creature? To sort of give you an idea whether or not players will have access to fly. You think about that for other things as well. There also are some guidelines based off of its CR for DR, immunities, regeneration, spell resistances, and immunities. So step nine, treasure. As simple as using a table, then considering what the loot of their recent meals were and what gear it is using during combat. I think we have a whole episode on how to spice up treasure and make it more interesting and fit it into the context of your game. You want to take all those things into consideration when 
giving loot to a creature. And the final step, step 10, details. Give it its name, its alignment, its space, its reach, its environment, its ecology, etc. Don't skimp out on this because one of your players, although they've never done this before, when they run into this monster, they'll be like, wait, I want to make a knowledge check on it. And you haven't actually filled out any of the details. You're like, uh, yeah, go ahead. And then they roll a 20. And you're like, you know a lot of stuff about this creature. Wow. Let me let me find all those details for you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's something I don't do enough is when my players make a knowledge check on a monster to say what is its normal environment and ecology. Because if it's not where it's supposed to be, that could say something. Aside from the fact that I just picked out the beast because it looked cool. I like how reach is something you can learn. Like, it has a 15-foot reach. You know that by, you know, your studies and not looking at its 15-foot arms. <laughs> well, I want to talk about what kind of extra content we get in future bestiaries to bolster monster creation. They don't change the process of monster creation much, but give you new options to utilize. The chart, the big chart, is only ever adjusted once. Right now, the bestiary one chart goes up to CR 20. The new chart goes up to CR 30. You get more templates to apply to monsters, more types and subtypes, new universal monster rules, those are like the abilities, and new monster feats. And I can't be sure we ever get new monster feats, but I think we do. So let's go over a few tips based off of things we've learned from creating our own monsters and hearing about other people creating monsters. Now, I've listened to some Paizo panels on monster creation, as I talked about, and they talk about making sure another monster doesn't already fill its niche, that it doesn't reference more than one or two books max, and it doesn't have too much complication for the GM to have to deal with. So if you want more sort of insider information, you can listen to those panels. But for me, here are some things I do. I could base it off of its type and subtype. You'll get a lot of info based off of the type of creature you're making beside the standard traits like DR, vision, yada, yada, yada. You get a framework. So for example, I created a clockwork colossus. Colossus is a type. Colossus type says that they have an alternate form and that they have a selective anti-magic aura. So that helped sort of build what was I going to do. I ended up doing like... <laughs> see the dumb movie wild wild west with will smith this giant clockwork steampunk i guess i should say spider and that's what i made and i used this to make it uh i made the slender man and i decided to make him a great old one and great old ones in their type say they get an unspeakable presence and they get an immortality trait well that really helped make the framework for the Slenderman. Unspeakable presence? Oh, well, in his lore, already people can't look at him. Oh, that's what I'll use for this. Immortality? I mean, already that sort of fits in. You kind of figure out how you're going to do that with the Slenderman. Uh, there's, they're always supposed to have a cult and information for domains and subdomains for people who want to worship them. All this framework taken just from the type. It really helped me build, especially with the Slenderman, a good framework for him and to be able to fit his abilities very naturally based on the type. As a GM, your time is precious. Don't reinvent the wheel. A lot of the types are going to give you like half of what the monster already does. And you can just do some small tweaks rather than build a Slenderman mythos and the creature types all from scratch. Use what's already there. Save yourself a lot of time. And also it sort of can help because I was thinking, you know, I'll make Slenderman a fae. He's always in the forest and the media I've consumed. And I looked at fae and it doesn't really fit as much as a great old one. So another thing I've done before is I've made just a minor change. I made something called a Bane Hound. And I just took a Mythic Hellhound as its base and adjusted a few things. I removed its attacks and gave it a special ability. It was based off of the Baneling from StarCraft. The Baneling in StarCraft doesn't attack in any way except for a suicide explosion. So I got rid of its bite and claws. 
gave it an ability where it explodes. And then I just did like one or two other stats on it. But like you were saying, why reinvent the wheel? Why make a whole nother, a whole nother hellhound when I can just adjust one slightly? And then one thing I really, really like to do is make monsters based off of media. That'll give you a great framework. So I made a Malboro from the Final Fantasy series. And those things, it was pretty simple. Okay, those things are plants. And their main thing is the bad breath ability, where they give you every negative status effect in the game. So I made the stats based off of a plant creature, knew its main damage is coming from its ability. So I made sure it had not such a great amount. I didn't have to focus on its natural attacks and all that stuff and focus on its ability and its save DC for the ability. And I went through a couple of iterations because every negative status condition in Pathfinder is ridiculous. You try to look at what moments be interesting and I end up picking just a few. Uh, you made a bunch of saves for it and you either were blinded, deafened, nauseated, confused, fatigued, paralyzed, or poisoned or polymorphed into a frog because they had to add that. And because in, in Final Fantasy, when you make the save, you get any number of them, I allowed the player to save against each of them. And even that's a little bit weird because that's a lot of saves to make off of one attack. I was about to say, were they making like 15 saving throws when they got attacked by this thing? One, two, three, four, five, six. They make eight saves. <laughs> they make eight saves. One off, off of every condition for... Uh, and then I, I made that... It's called Bad Breath, so I made it a breath attack. So I followed the breath attack rules. I also made a dead hand from Legend of Zelda. Are those the things that come from the ceiling and are the bane of my childhood nightmares? That's just a wall master. No, no, no. The dead hand you found in, like, uh, I think, under the well and in the Shadow Temple of Ocarina of Time. Oh. And it's a bunch of hands sticking out of the ground. And when, when you get close enough to one, the body comes out and it's this big head on a flesh of the corpse flesh. It's disgusting. I made it an undead that sort of seemed well to fit into it. And uh, I used the monster ability Summon, which allows you to summon other little creatures with a percentage chance of success. So I allowed it to summon six dead hands and I made the dead hand creature. And the whole idea of the, the monster in the game was that it grabs you and then the main body comes and bites you. So I gave them the grab ability so that they could make, you know, some grapple checks, try to grab you so that the, you know, the dead hand creature could come and get you. And when, when you use the, the summon ability, there's that percentage chance of success. So because I was adjusting it beyond the rules allowed, I put an entry under the special abilities, yada, 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 when it summons, there's a sense... I won't read it word for word, but I broke the rules of I summon a specific number instead of a, a random number, and I have 100% chance instead of a, a, a less than 100% chance. And then I also, for this, we were just talking about, I gave them a, a teamwork feat of ally shield, which allows the arms to sort of try to defend and take blows for the main body. And then sometimes you just have a cool idea. I had an idea for an ooze that is like a carnivorous cube, except instead of acid and paralyzation uh it copies your genetic code and when you hop out of the ooze another copy made out of ooze hops out with you so i had to make two monsters one the carnivorous cube to get you and then the mimicker ooze which was the thing that comes out and mimics you and ooze have very specific rules about them that help you build them oh hey didn't see you there christian and i were just setting sail to celebrate columbus day Hey, Caleb, do you think these guys would be interested in joining us? You know, I bet they would. I mean, if they listen to Pathfinder Academy, they gotta be cool, right? If role-playing games are your thing, why don't you guys check out our other podcast, Trailblazers? Trailblazers is an actual play podcast where you can see many of the concepts addressed in this show come to life. 
Season 2 of Trailblazers has been great so far, and I especially like that you can get into it without any prior knowledge of Season 1. It's definitely a fun adventure, especially if you like mysteries and a dash of cyberpunk with your fantasy. If high fantasy is more your style, then consider giving Season 1 a listen. You can find Trailblazers on iTunes. We've got a bunch of other ways to listen as well, so go to our site tblazer.net for a complete list of the ways that you can listen. So go ahead, hoist those anchors, grab some dice, and join us. Alright, we're off the dock. Uh, Caleb, you got the sales? Sure. 50% off and buy one, get one free. We're gonna be set on dice for life. Ah, uh, Caleb, you're rowing back. When creating your own monsters, make good use of templates. Sometimes you don't have to make a whole new monster. Sometimes you can take something that you see as like a tired or stereotypical creature and make it interesting again. View it through a new lens. Like, oh man, Snore, another goblin. Wait a second, a celestial goblin? What the heck's going on here? And you didn't really have to do a lot of work. You just took a monster that's already there, applied a template to it. You completely changed the context of that creature and all the rules for how to treat its stats are already built into the game. Something that I made use of is it was a lower level campaign and I wanted to introduce demons into it, but my players were too low level to fight true demons. So instead, there was a syndicate of bandits known as the Red Smiles that would infuse themselves with demonic quality. So I took basically regular classed NPCs and just gave them a template of my own design. That was basically the demonic type, but then I would give them more abilities from demons so they could still face these things without being, you know, instantly stomped. But they were, in a sense, fighting pseudo-demons. Templates are amazing. Something that's not talked about here that I think is a very important concept is lethal capacity. Enemies, you could design them to be stronger, if they don't have the explicit intent to kill the players, or of the conditions of which they would kill the players, is very clearly defined. And I think the stereotypical example of this would be some kind of guardian, like a stone guardian, that only attacks people if they enter a certain area, if they enter a certain room, and the second you leave that room, it'll stop attacking them. As long as the players are forewarned of this, and they have a means of finding out that is the case, you can make that guardian much more powerful than the table suggests, because they have very clear tools to work around its strengths. Most of the examples that I have that I've used are ones that are from NPCs, not necessarily monsters, but once my players were being hunted down by a bounty hunter, and the bounty hunter used a firearm, she was a gunslinger, and she also had like three pets, a horse, a dog, and a bird. She was a good amount of levels higher than the party, so she was really strong. As a gunslinger, she basically always hit, and she did really good damage, but she only used non-lethal ammunition because she wanted to take people alive, so I could make her more powerful. Now, there was the rule that if someone attacked one of her pets, her pets never attacked players, they would only ever use combat maneuvers, but if someone hit one of her pets, she would switch to lethal ammunition. I never explicitly told my players that, but they actually called out to that person. At one point, the bounty hunter actually captured one of the party members, and they were engaged in combat with her, and one of them called out, you know, let her friend go or I'm going to kill your dog, and she said, if you touch a hair on that dog, I'm going to use real bullets, and you're going to be really upset. It was really nice to have that natural moment that I didn't have to explicitly tell them. It actually came out from natural conversation. Another one I used was someone had a jerk brother, and they were in like a shadowy realm, and the quintessential all bad parts of a big brother came up and manifested as a shadow creature to beat up 
the player, but had no intention of killing him. He would punch him in the face, he would kick him in the balls, he would, you know, kick dirt in his eyes. But if he ever fell unconscious, he'd be like, oh, no, man, oh, it's it's all right. You can hit me now. It's cool. Just just don't tell mom, man. He had no intention to kill the player. <laughs> don't tell mom. He had no intention to kill the player because he was still effectively the brother. But in that way, I can make him more powerful. And the players failing against him didn't mean that they died. It means that they didn't succeed at whatever they were trying to do. It's interesting to hear all these monsters. They seem to be very based on your players. When I make monsters, I sort of make generic monsters that anyone can use in their game. But you seem to really tailor it to your games yeah i usually build a lot of my stuff around the players in particular i heavily consider the player stats abilities and backstories whenever i designed at least important npcs of course i use a lot of throwaways but usually i just pull stuff straight out of the bestiary for that and just reskin it the last tip i have for creating monsters is there is this table that gives you a suggestion of you know what attack bonuses and what abilities they should have but sometimes you have to break the rules and you have to be unfair, and this is 100% necessary for enemies to be challenging and for enemies to be memorable. If you're only ever going by the exact values on this table, your players are going to catch on, like, oh, okay, everyone at this level has a plus 10 to hit bonus, I get it, cool. Sometimes you have to have an enemy with an absolutely insane to hit bonus, because when your player sees that monster roll a 2 and still hit them, they know from that point forward they are on a timer and they have to finish that fight as soon as possible. One of the abilities I gave one of these demon bandits was I used a shadow demon, and there was two twins. One, only one could ever be manifested, and the other one was their twin shadow. As an immediate action, they could swap between who was manifested and who was the shadow. So this required my players to eventually figure out that they had to use prepared actions, really, to ever do anything to them, or else they would just avoid all their attacks. There's nothing in the rules that say I'm allowed to do that, but it made a more interesting fight. And really, now that I think about it, most of the monsters I design, the answer usually is to take a prepared action. <laughs> like, I'm thinking about it. In Starfinder, I made someone who was so fast, you could only see him during his turn when he was attacking, so the answer was to take prepared action to shoot him. It's always, yeah, it's, am I a bad GM? <laughs> no one told, yeah, but no one told my players about prepared actions, please. <laughs> Why don't we close out the episode with a bestiary wish list? Obviously, the stuff I made was because I wanted them. They would be on my wish list. But of those that I made, I really loved and would see the official version of the Slenderman and the Malboro. That'd be cool. I'd love to see a Freddy Krueger-like entry. I know you can use the Boogeyman, but it's just not the same. Beetlejuice kind of fits the same desire. But one thing I'd really, really like to see is a Metroid. I think that'd be pretty cool. Now, when I originally put this into the section of the, of this episode, I thought it'd be a fun conversation and I can only come up with those three. <laughs> I want a lot more and I'm sure as time goes on, I'm like, yeah, I want that too. But when somebody tells you, think of these things, I'm like, uh, uh, lock up, lock up. And I can't freaking think of any more. I'm sure I want more, but those would be me. Give me a Metroid. It's the same thing where it's like, I'm hungry. Okay, what do you want to eat? Um, um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Someone tell me what I want. Do you, do you want to see, you know, the Goombas? No, no, no. Well, then you can't just say, listen, I know what I don't want. <laughs> just think of some of your favorite video games. and You'll probably think some monsters you want in the beast chair. Yeah, this section was tough for me because I basically always build my own monsters. And they're not usually a direct influence from somewhere else. Also, I know so little about the Beast series that I'm afraid I'm going to say something that already exists. <laughs> the main thing I'd like to see in general, not a specific type of monster, but in the Beast series, is more things with vulnerabilities. I feel like vulnerability is just a rare thing for any kind of monster to have. I'd like to see more vulnerable to lightning, vulnerable to fire, 
because these are kind of quintessential things to what we know as RPGs. When we think of Final Fantasy, when we think of turn-based RPGs, that's one of the big factors, bringing the right tools to the fight, having the right kinds of resistances, which do all come into effect, but it's very rarely vulnerabilities. And I think a player, you know, making a knowledge check are using intuition to choose the right, say, element to attack a creature with, it's very rewarding to them to get, you know, 50% more damage. That's huge, and it feels good as the player. I'd like to see an implementation of, like, your stereotypical alien, like a little green man, which I think isn't a super interesting concept in, like, stories that are modern day. But I think in the context of something that takes place in what is effectively medieval times, little green men would actually be terrifying because there's so much more mystery about them and people can't prove them wrong. And it'd be very easy to write in that because they're not from this world, magic doesn't affect them the same way. So when you hear about someone that's like, oh, I got abducted and they probed me, I th- I just think being in medieval times, that's such a different context than it is modern day when you hear someone from you know Tennessee talking about how they saw an asteroid fly by but they didn't take a video with their phone well Christian your fears came true there is the exact thing you're looking for it's called gray and it's introduced in bestiary 5 oh man well what I said still stands CR4 and it has an it has a special ability called probe dang it so enjoy that <laughs> I'm feeling great amounts of shame right now I don't know how to reconcile this you mean gray amounts of shame Yeah. Talking about inspiration from outside media, The Thing is a great movie. I love the movie The Thing. I love the concept of The Thing. The Thing as a construct in Pathfinder is hard to represent. Pathfinder isn't a horror-based RPG. I think it fits better in something like Dread, where you use a Jenga tower to represent your abilities and eventually someone's going to die. I made The Thing once, but it was much less of a creature and more of an obstacle. It was effectively unkillable and it would pull people into it. And, you know, you had chances to get out, like if it's you know, stringy flesh arms grabbed one of the PCs, well, the other PCs had a chance to, like, break those strings and get them free before they got sucked in. And then there's a lot of creatures that already have the ability to disguise as other creatures, like Disguise Self and all the likes, and those are very easy to graft onto this creature. Random thought, I'd like to see Goldar from Power Rangers. I don't know why, I just think he's cool. (laughs) I know you're asking yourself, Christian, when you say Goldar, do you mean the cool, armored, evil twisted sphinx thing from the 90s show or do you mean the giant amorphous golden monstrosity from the 2017 movie the answer is yes i'd like to also see putties for some reason i want a creature that i could just punch in the chest take a targeted shot and they die and you know what just port the entirety of power rangers into pathfinder please how much do you like power rangers (laughs) i don't know i like something about the idea of power rangers i'm starting a power rangers game who's in (laughs) you're all a power ranger you all are the chosen one i'm in only if i can be rita repulsa well in the 2017 movie she was the green ranger Ah, after 10,000 years, I'm free. It's time to conquer Galarian. (laughs) Zed, what are you doing here? I'm supposed to be the main villain. You're not edgy enough. My brain's exposed. (laughs) His whole body's a brain. (laughs) He's the quintessential brain boy, honestly. Oh, no. My Power Rangers experience stems from watching the same VHS of one episode when I was a kid at my grandpa's house over and over again. Every time we went over, I, the episode had some weird Skelly Man guys, the bad guy, Rita Repulse, of course, animating him. And then uh, I had the movie. Yes, the Ooze movie, which if anyone knows anything about it, it's infamously terrible. Infamously terrible. 
I mean, it fits so well. You have a witch that casts a large creature on anything that they're fighting, oh, no. and then you just give every one of the players like an unchained, like a Edelon, a synthesis summoner, like ability to become their Zoids. It's perfect. It fits exactly. Listen, listen. We already got ooze types. We can get the ooze, mo- the ooze guy from the movie. It's all set. <laughs> I'd like to see more skeletons and zombies, and like I'd like to see a whole book of just variants of undead. I think that'd be really cool. That doesn't exist, right? It does not, and it'd be really cool if it did. Lastly, I'd like to see creatures that draw inspiration from SCP, Secure, Contain, Protect. Creatures with, like, really, really hard restrictions and clear-defined rules, but the things they do are insanely powerful. The quintessential SCP is the one that it can only move if you're not observing it, so when you see it, you have to not blink and keep your eyes on it, or it just snaps your neck. Things like that, I think, would be interesting to draw inspiration from and create Pathfinder Monsters for. Definitely. I love that series. Take big inspiration from that series, and I fully agree. That's a big list, Christian, but have you considered Metroids? So, like, just membrane things <laughs> that latch onto your head? Oh, Christian, uh, you are so misinformed. All right, a lot of people like to categorize Metroids as this evil parasite. They have, like, nine stages through their life. All right, so... Don't even. There's the Gamma Metroids. There's the Alpha Metroids. There's, of course, the Metroid Queen. There's the Metroid Larva, which is the one you're used to seeing. And I think there's one or two others. They're they're great. I don't think I've played the Metroid games where the different variants appear. I've really only played Metroid Fusion, the one for Game Boy Advance. Uh, because it's only really Metroid 2. Okay. <laughs> that, and, and that wasn't a great... It wasn't a great game. It was... <laughs> was it my first introduction to Metroid? Yes. Did I play it a lot? Because I was a little kid who only had a few games. Yes. Uh, but the remake came out recently. It was actually really a lot of fun. I was very happy that they remade the game. But yeah, you you hunt down the Metroids and you have to kill them at their different stage of life. It kind of really puts into view what sort of kind of genocide is happening right now. That you're going and killing so much. The women, the children, at any age, if it's a Metroid, you kill it. And I think <laughs> in one other game, you fight an Alpha Metroid. Uh, but yeah, there, it actually was pretty cool to see a, a life cycle form. Think about it. It's several monsters in one, Christian. <laughs> well that's our monster builder episode hopefully now you can go home and create your own monster actually you're probably at home and not i don't know coming to my house to listen to this episode so i'm not sure why i put that part in it but you can create your own monsters now <laughs> next you can expect the race builder that'll be an interesting one i think they'll be the final of our little builder series thank you all for listening class is dismissed <laughs> Pathfinder Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. For other great RPG podcasts, visit our website, tblazer.net. Want to get in touch? Email us at tblazernetwork at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at tblazernetwork. This episode was edited by Devin Tonnell. This is Johan Martins. Thanks for listening.